everyone, Siobhan Chapman here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning and that means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation with a tilt towards fixed income and the drivers behind recent performance. My guests will also spend time covering CIO's latest market outlook and some points of interest to be mindful of on the week ahead. Joining me for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back both Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden. Senior Fixed Income Strategist for the Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office. Frank and Barry, it's great to have both of you back, and thank you for spending some time with our listeners and clients. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So let's get us started. Frank, can you begin by recapping some of the notable events of the past week? Sure. Um, Well, I'd first point out, uh, Siobhan, last week um, we published uh, the latest yield and income report. I write the lead article on this uh, monthly report. And uh, it's a it's a, a multi-asset class, uh, multi-author report. And the latest update, which was published last week, is entitled Back to School. And that references the sharp narrative shift that occurred two weeks ago uh, on August 26th when Fed Chair Jay Powell gave a speech at the annual uh, Jackson Hole Economic Symposium. And in that speech, Powell pushed back against the so-called Fed pivot narrative. That's the idea that the economic backdrop will allow the Fed to end uh, their, their rate hike campaign, uh, end rate hikes sooner or at a lower level than expected, and possibly even lower rates early next year. Now, Powell's message in that speech two weeks ago was uh, very clear interest rates will be higher for longer, and uh, the markets shouldn't be counting on uh, rate cuts uh, early next year. So this hawkish narrative shift has led to a more muted market response to what was otherwise good data over the past week. So first, we did get the August jobs report a week ago. The unemployment rate surprisingly rose to 3.7%, from 3.5%, but that was due to a surprisingly higher participation rate, a higher uh, labor force participation rate, plus average hourly earnings rose, but at a slower than expected pace. So overall, the oldest jobs report was a bit of good news uh, in in that the wage pressures and and, uh, tightness of the labor market seem to be uh, softening up a bit or easing a bit. And it was described by many economists, this August jobs report, uh, many economists, including our own Brian Rose, described the August report as the Goldilocks jobs report. Despite the higher unemployment rate, the, the increase in the participation rate and the uh, slower than expected pace of increase in average hourly earnings are... Uh, perhaps indicative of less inflationary pressures. Then on Tuesday, we also got the ISM Services Index, which was stronger than expected, indicating some continued strength in the underlying economy. And, more notably, the prices paid component fell to its lowest level since last January, January 2021. So overall, good news on the economic, economic data front, but risk markets... Uh, equity markets in particular, risk markets in general, are taking their cues from 
from the Fed and they're taking their cues from the Treasury market. I point out the two-year Treasury yield closed above 3.5% this week. That's the highest level in almost 15 years. You have to go back to October of 2007 uh, to see a, a two-year Treasury yield at that level uh, prior that it hit this week. And the 10-year Treasury yield hit 335 on Tuesday. Now, we did get a relief rally on Wednesday when the 10-year yield dipped back below 330. But otherwise, the S&P 500 is 4.5% lower than it was the night before that Powell speech two weeks ago. That includes three consecutive weeks of losses through last Friday. Now, in a holiday shortened week, the S&P 500 is up about 2% so far. We'll see how things go today. But overall, uh, markets are taking their lead from interest rates. They're taking their lead from uh, the central banks. And Barry, uh, speaking of central banks, there was some other news on that front as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, shape, September is really shaping up to be a, a record month for central bank uh, rate hikes. So earlier this week, we saw the Australian Central Bank deliver a 50 basis point rate hike, and uh, the Bank of Canada delivered a 75 basis point hike yesterday, and of course, the European Central Bank uh, delivered a 75 basis point hike yesterday, which was their largest since the uh, introduction, you know, of the euro. Uh, in addition, the ECB released new growth and inflation forecasts, and they, they do expect uh, inflation. Uh, to be uh, higher for longer, uh, their expected inflation rates are is 8.1% this year, 55 next year, and 2.3 in 2024. They also uh, message that risks are uh, to the upside as it relates to inflation. And ECB did um, lower their growth forecast uh, next year to 0.9%. And in CIO, you know, we do think it's probable that the uh, eurozone does experience uh, you know, a recession actually over the next uh, six uh, to, to twelve months. Um, you know, given the, the headwinds uh, faced there uh, related to uh, specifically you know the, the energy sector as well. Um, so overall, uh, you know, we saw those actions um, in global central banks, and of course we have the Fed meeting that takes place on September twenty-first uh, this month, uh, where it's looking um, pretty likely that that they will deliver another 75 basis point uh, rate increase uh, at that meeting. Um, rounding things out, the Bank of England as well uh, slated to deliver another increase in the bank rate uh, next week. So it really is, you know, um, slated to be a kind of a, a record month as far as uh, global central bank uh, action taking place. Now, Barry, how have fixed income markets been performing, generally speaking, but also in the areas that each of you focus on specifically? Right. So as, uh, as Frank frames, you know, we, we have seen interest rates uh, that have risen, particularly on the short end of the curve, making new cycle highs, whereas the 10-year the um, this week just hitting about 3.3%, still a bit shy of the 35 it touched in June, um, but, you know, but still um, still near the, the upper end of the range. So clearly, you know, it's been a headwind to fixed income uh, returns, uh, and, you know, we've experienced this uh, throughout the year as we stand the investment grade corporate asset class is down uh, 14.7% year to date. High yield bonds are down 10.6% uh, year to date. And the better segments have been uh, those with more of a floating rate component. And um, we look uh, closely at, at the senior loan or leverage, leverage loan asset class. That's down only about uh, slightly over 1% uh, 
year to date. And one thing in, in CIO we noticed, given that really large performance differential of about 10% between senior loans and high yield, as well as um, the more recent uh, outperformance witnessed in, in loans uh, throughout the month of, of August, uh, we did make a, a change the messaging in our credit preference uh, that's favoring high yield bonds now uh, over over senior loans. And again, that's based on just some of the recent outperformance of the loan asset class, as well as the fact that we are uh, in a higher rate environment in the for the high yield bond market, which is the traditional uh, fixed rate uh, fixed income sector. And then when you look at the uh, credit quality composition of high yield, uh, it's actually of, of higher credit quality, where you have slightly over half of the index is rated double B, which is the highest uh, credit rating within high yield. Uh, whereas um, when you look at the senior loan asset class, uh, the, the index comprises only about a 24% of double D and 64% of single B. Uh, so for those reasons, that was the latest um, shift in the preference within credit. But again, we're still generally neutral as it relates to credit, um, given that spreads we feel are kind of pricing in long-term average uh, rates, but they're not necessarily reflecting more um, pronounced downside risk, you know, to the economy. So we do think that risk premiums have potential to widen out, you know, uh, in, in the months ahead. And, um, you know, but, but the, the, the carry that the asset classes provide are certainly much more attractive. By carry, we mean really the coupon income and the yield. Um, we're, we're witnessing investment-grade yields now that are about 5%, which, again, is, is the high point that we've seen uh, for the, basically the, the post-global financial crisis uh, period. Uh, and, and even in the high-yield bond market, um, we are seeing yields now that are uh, back uh, above uh, 8%. So that's the, the, the um, kind of the, the good side of, of the, the what we've experienced in terms of the pressure that's been forced on bond prices this year is just that we do have yield, you know, returning to fixed income uh, where investors can, can capture that in a way that manages risk and, and it, here we would tilt our preferences a bit more towards the shorter end of the investment grade uh, corporate maturities um, because you can still obtain yields that slightly exceed 4%, um, where the price sensitivity in that maturity segment is lessened um, because of the lower duration. So that's where our uh, our main preference uh, you know, lies within credit. Um, and then I also just mentioned as far as another up in quality sector, CIO does like agency mortgage-backed securities where we have a preferred weighting in that sector, you know, given its wider spread uh, and low credit risk. Yeah, and from, from my standpoint, when it comes to preferred stocks, uh, just really quickly, uh, preferred stocks, the preferred securities sector uh, is broadly experiencing a lot of the same headwinds that Barry uh, described. Uh, preferreds uh, are down by about 0.7% so far in September, basically one week. But that brings us to a year-to-date loss for preferreds of about 12%. Uh, it's important to note most of the year-to-date losses in the preferred space, and I would guess this is true of most fixed-income sectors, most of the year-to-date losses were actually incurred in the first four months of the year. That's when we saw that initial surge in Treasury rates. But since April 30th, so uh, over the past 
for a little more than four months. Preferreds are down just by 2%. So, uh, you know, they're down by 12% year-to-date, but only 2% since April 30th. The sector uh, in May and, again, July posted decent gains, actually, but June and August uh, saw preferreds uh, uh, taking on some sizable losses. So I'd expect us to continue to see this sort of sawtooth pattern, uh, you know, one step forward, one step back from here when it comes to monthly returns, given all of the volatility in the backdrop. But uh, from a valuation standpoint, overall, the current environment does provide a good entry point. As Barry mentioned, you know, the silver lining to uh, these losses in the fixed income space is that you have better yields now. Uh, so for long-term investors, the outlook is supported by um, a pretty good relative value from a historical perspective. Preferred yields are at about 6% or even higher. And uh, the outlook is also supported by what is likely to be more range-bound uh, interest rates uh, in the months ahead. Um, in terms of positioning, real quick, I like to segment the, the, the preferred uh, stock market into two subsectors based on par value. $25 par preferreds tend to have fixed coupons, while $1,000 par preferreds tend to have variable rate coupons. So it's generally a good idea, particularly given the, the volatility that we're experiencing in the backdrop right now, to diversify exposure to these different par markets and coupon types. Um, but overall, you can get some pretty good yield, uh, like I said, about 6% or higher, Sharon. Exactly. <clears throat> so as we begin to look to the week ahead, Frank, what is CIO's overall market outlook and what are some events to look forward to in the week ahead? Well, in the, in the, in the week ahead and I would say the months ahead, uh, we generally expect volatility to continue. Uh, at CIO, we look for uh, some continued market volatility and for risk markets to generally remain range-bound straight through the middle of next year, right through mid-2023. Uh, the notable trend will be that the Fed will continue to raise rates. Our expectation is they're going to continue to raise rates at each of the next uh, three meetings that are left in 2022. As Barry mentioned, looks like another 75 basis point hike is coming from the Fed uh, this month. Uh, so the bottom line investors need to remember is that the Fed's goal is to slow the economy. The Fed's goal is to tighten financial conditions. So that will remain a challenging backdrop for equities and, and risk assets in general. And, you know, you could argue that any rally in equities uh, could be arguably considered counterproductive to the Fed's goals of tighter financial conditions. So clearly a tough environment. With that in mind, at CIO, we do favor value stocks and defensive sectors like healthcare and consumer staples, as well as higher quality fixed income, including, as Barry mentioned, agency mortgage-backed securities. But um, there are also some economic data points that uh, investors will be looking at uh, over the next week. Uh, Barry, I'll let you uh, take those. As far as uh, next week in the economic data front, really uh, the main focus will be on the, the CPI release on Tuesday. And here, um, UBS expects uh, headline CPI to reflect another uh, muted uh, monthly uh, data point, really as uh, gasoline prices have fallen. 
Um, it's expected that the year-over-year rate uh, will slip to about 8.1% in August. That would be down from 8.5% in, in July and 9.1% at its peak uh, two months ago. Uh, core CPI, on the other hand, uh, is projected to actually kick up a bit uh, by 0.4%. That would be a slight increase from the 0.3% increase that we saw in July. And factors contributing towards the uptick in core include uh, prices for uh, shelter away from home, uh, as well as uh, medical services that are expected to increase more in August uh, than in July. Uh, but nonetheless, the projected August rise uh, would still represent some easing in the inflation trend, uh, would be below the increases witnessed um, in about eight of the past 10 months. And of course, an easing of the inflation trend you know, is paramount in um, eventually uh, the Fed, you know, laying off their uh, their hawkish path and, and raising rates. Uh, so it will be the main indicator, I think, that the market hones in on as we try to, um, you know, get uh, a bit more clarity around uh, the Fed policy. Um, and that'll culminate, I think, at, um, again on the 21st when the FOMC unit does hold their meeting with an updated set of uh, economic projections and dots would be released at that time. Okay, perfect. Thank you both. Again, today we have been joined by Frank Saleo and Barry McAlendon, Senior Fixed Income Strategist for Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For all clients of UBS, please contact your financial advisor to learn more and to receive a copy of the publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.